We are uh, studying the book of Hebrews in our uh, Sunday morning service, and this morning we come to the second chapter. The second chapter in the English Standard Version begins with the word, therefore. So, of course, it's related to the first chapter. Well, you know, the second chapter of anything is usually related to the first chapter. But in this case, he's giving us a, so what? In, a, in another translation, it says, for this reason. And you might want to ask, well, what's the reason? If you just started reading in chapter 2, you'd read the first word and you'd say, I guess I need to read chapter 1. So we got to go and remember what chapter 1 said. You remember what chapter 1 said? It said that Jesus is the Word of God. That God has spoken, and the, the thing He has spoken is the incarnation of His Son. So that Jesus is not like the prophets, or even an angel in speaking for God. The prophets speak for God, the angels speak for God. The very word angel means messenger. And so Jesus is not like them because while they speak for God, Jesus, the man, the incarnate Son of God, is the Word of God. He doesn't just speak the words of God, he is the word of God. In fact, he is the word about which all the other speakers speak. So we uh, see this right at the very front end of the book of Hebrews in the first four verses. And uh, this week I thought of uh, another way of summarizing those verses and really all of chapter 1 because after verse 4 the writer of Hebrews is just elaborating on how we can see from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is superior to the angels or the angelic messengers of God and so here's here's I'm going to give you a quick list a summary of Hebrews chapter 1 Jesus, the Son of God made flesh, is the last word. The last word. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, the one in whom everything culminates, is the Son of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the last word of God. He's the first word of God. He's the first word. It says, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. When God created the world, how did he do it? You've read Genesis chapter 1. God said, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. He's the first word. He's the one through whom, he is the agent through whom the Father creates everything that is made. 
John chapter 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was God and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Everything that's been made was made by Him. Nothing that has been made was not made by Him. Sorry, I didn't quote that exactly right, but it's kind of complex. He says it like three different ways. The the agency of all creation is in the logos, the eternal Son of God. And here in Hebrews, he says it like this, through whom also he created the world, the world, the ages, the history of all times. He's the last word, and he's the first word, and he's the perfect word. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There's nothing missing in the revelation of God in the person of Jesus, the man Jesus, so that Jesus could look at Philip straight in the eye and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nothing left out of the revelation of God in the man Jesus. It's perfect. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the shine on God. And if you ask the question, how does anyone ever know God? The answer to that question is Jesus. He's the revelation, the perfect word. He's the powerful word. He says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Son of God sustains all things, carries the whole history of mankind from its beginning in him to its conclusion in him. He carries it along all the way. And if he took a day off, you know, in Colossians we read, he sustains creation. If he took a day off, everything would collapse. He's the powerful word of God. And it's interesting that God sustains everything by a word. Then he's the purifying word of God. This is especially important in the book of Hebrews where we're going to read about the sacrifice of Christ, that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were covering sacrifices. The sacrifice of Christ is a cleansing sacrifice that actually cleanses your conscience of sin. He's the purifying word of God and he's the exalted word of God. Having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he's the last word, he's the first word. He's the perfect word, he's the powerful word. He's the purifying word and he's the exalted word. Therefore, therefore, what? Chapter 2. What is needed then, by the way, I have included my own translation of this text in the bulletin here. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of what I read in the Greek text to emphasize or, yeah, well, anyway, whatever. 
What is needed then, therefore, what is needed then is we must pay even closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. God has spoken to us in his Son, who made purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, who is the object of angelic worship and service. Because of the grace of God in Christ to speak to us in his Son, what we must do is pay closer attention to what we've heard. What is necessary is literally the translation of the words here. Closer, that's a comparative, and so we need to say, comparing what to what? Well, what we've heard compared to what our fathers heard in the prophets or from angels, that's the comparison. What we've heard in the Son compared to the messages of the prophets and the angels. We should pay closer attention, even closer attention than we have so far to this message compared to that message. Yep. This says, take note of what you've heard. This is stated in very urgent terms here, uh, which might get lost a little bit in our translations. We must be sure to see Christ. We've sort of talked about this a little bit already when I raised the question of what is most important? What is most important? The answer to that question is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the answer to the question, what is most important? There is nothing more important. He is Lord. He is King of Kings. He is the most important thing. He's the creator of everything and the conclusion of everything. He's the one who carries everything from its creation by him to its conclusion in him. He is the one who perfectly radiates the very nature of God. There's nothing more important than this. And the question is, are we giving greatest importance to the thing that has greatest importance? which might be important. What if you don't notice something is really important? Well, that's the point here. (laughs) That is the very point of this text. Since Christ is the most important thing, he should be most important to you. He says we should pay attention to what we've heard. Well, what have we heard? Well, we've heard the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We've heard the purification of sins, which we understand to be through the sacrifice of the person of Christ. And we've heard of the exaltation of Christ and the expectation of his fully realized lordship. He will rule as we read in the psalm and as we're going to, that, that psalm uh, is going to find a lot of reference in the book of Hebrews, by the way. Uh, 
the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. We're in the in-between time now. He is seated at the right hand and his enemies will be made his footstool. He will rule. He's already king of kings and his, his rule will be more fully realized, will be completely realized before history comes to its end. So we've heard the revelation of God in Christ, the purification of sins by the sacrifice of Christ, the exaltation of Christ to King of kings, Lord of lords. The Father has given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every knee, that's what those three expressions mean. Really, really, actually, every last knee will bow and will proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. So, that's what we need to pay attention to. Jesus. The revelation of God in the person of Jesus. Why? Really? Do we need more reasons? Because he's the most important thing, we ought to regard him as most important. If you thought something else was more important than him, you ought to regard that as more important. But we we know because he showed up, he's the most important thing. So we should regard him as most important and pay close attention. Do you know him? Do you know him? Well, not like you could. Yes, you have to answer that question. No matter how well you know him, you can say, yes, I know him. And not like I need to. (laughs) Not like I need to. I need to pay much closer attention to him. No matter how good my attention seems so far, it needs to be more. I will receive nothing but benefit from knowing him better and appreciating his significance more and trusting myself more to him in this, that, or the other new thing that I didn't realize until today. So that we we need to pay attention to what we've heard. Now the writer gives us another reason so that we don't drift away. What an amazing expression this is, drift away. Many of you have been in the ocean, and you know if you've been in the ocean much, the ocean has currents. And if you don't hang on to something, you will drift away. That's the expression right here. If your boat, you guys have boats, if your boat wasn't tied to the mooring, what would happen? You'd wake up the next morning and find yourself halfway to Curacao or something like that. You'd drift away. That's the expression here. Pay attention is sort of like get yourself tied down to the mooring so that you don't drift away. Because there are currents How would you drift away? Well, 
couple of ways I just want to point out, or three. You might drift into worldliness. You know, in the culture we live in, how well is it paying attention to Christ? (laughs) Not at all. And is it, does it tend to exalt things in importance above Christ? <laughs> Do I even have to ask that question? Obviously. Well, everything's more important than Christ in the world in which we live. We look to salva- for salvation and resolution of all kinds of problems in all kinds of places and ways other than Christ. And if you aren't tied to Christ, if you aren't if you don't fasten down the confession of your faith, as Hebrews will put it, if you don't if you aren't connected to the mooring, you will drift away. It's in the world you live in. You will find yourself engaged in some idolatry or another, some elevation of something above Jesus. Here's what I find in my own life. I am distracted by almost anything from my position in union with Christ and the absolute blessing I have in Him. I can find myself fretting about the stupidest things. And forgetting Christ. Here's another way we drift away. We become self-reliant. You know, in Western culture especially, self-reliance is prized. We are taught to be self-reliant. Well, and a certain measure of competence is a good thing. But... Ultimately, I rely on Christ. God is my provider, and Christ is his provision, and the Spirit is my access, my healing in order to see Christ, to be in right relation to the Father in Christ by the Spirit. And not to rely on myself. Paul says, you know, if, if you, any of you people think you're self-reliant, well, let me tell you something. I'm the best self-reliant person that ever walked the earth. Paul says this. It's in Philippians chapter 3. He says, nobody's was better at, you know, keeping God's commandments by the sheer force of his own will than I was. But let me tell you about that. Righteousness of my own is unrighteous righteousness and I don't want it. I, it is like garbage to me now that I know Christ and that I can pursue Christ and that I can have the righteousness of Christ by faith alone, by God's grace and not by getting it for myself. He says self-reliance is in the garbage bin. Christ-reliance is all I want. And he says it about like that. You know, 
There's a third thing. I only gave you two items in the outline here, but I, then I thought of a third one. And that is comfort. Things, one of the currents that might cause us to drift away. <laughs> and really kind of the thing that was on the horizon for the readers, the original readers of the book of Hebrews was persecution. In other words, your association with Christ is about to cost you. It's about to bring some pain into your life. And so the desire for comfort might lead you to drift away from Christ. Because sometimes being with Christ is not comfortable. <laughs> Christ isn't always a comfortable person to be around. I, I sometimes like to think about Jesus. You know, he had some younger brothers. Yeah? How would you like to be one of those guys? Jesus' younger brother. Now, I have an older brother who's some kind of genius, always does the right thing, as near as I can tell. Well, I know better than that. I've seen him do some wrong things. But he always had it figured out how to keep mom and dad happy. And he is smart, smart, like serious. He does math for a living. That can be kind of annoying to have someone, you know, with these qualities as your older brother. But you know what? My older brother is way closer to me in terms of his goodness, righteousness, smartness than he is to Jesus. What if Jesus was your older brother? Oh my goodness, that would not be comfortable. Can you imagine dealing with Joseph? If you're James and Jesus, you and Jesus work side by side in Joseph's carpentry shop. Could be annoying. But, you know, that's not even the most serious discomfort that might be associated with hanging out with Jesus. Actual persecution happens to people who hang out with Jesus. Jesus himself was crucified, and he said to his disciples, if you want to come with me, that's where I'm going. And you'll have to take up your cross to come with me. Whatever that might be, your close attention to Christ will cost you at some point in some way. It will press you out of comfort in so, at some point in some way. And so that's one of the currents that might lead us. And the Hebrews were, they were uh, anticipating persecution. And that is why this letter exists. Because as they were anticipating persecution, they were saying out loud, I'm thinking of drifting away. I'm thinking of drifting away. So the writer says, Christ is above all. Consider him. Pay attention to him or you might find yourself drifting away.
And then he gives this comparison. He's going back to the angels. He said, so if the word spoken through angels, since the message declared by angels proved to be binding such that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, so what is this word spoken through angels? Well, I'm just going to give you some references because the word spoken through angels is the law of Moses. You can find this in Deuteronomy 33.2, Galatians 3.19, Acts chapter 7, Acts 7.38, Acts 7.53, Psalm 68.7. If you are one of these Hebrew believers that this letter was first written to, as soon as the writer said the word spoken through angels, you'd know exactly what he was talking about because it's the common knowledge of those first century Jews that the word spoken through angels is the law of Moses. And so the writer says, so if that word, if that message was binding, another translation says unalterable, another translation in the English Standard Version says reliable, to such a degree that it demands perfect justice. None of us in this room, we all want justice but not perfect justice. I pretty much want justice for the people who wrong me. That's the place where I especially want justice. Or sometimes I can work myself up for a desire for justice in society, generally speaking. But it would not do me any good whatsoever if perfect justice were executed. And the law of God demands not just any old justice, perfect justice, such that anyone who is not in right relationship to God receives the eternal wrath of God. Well, who is that? Every last one of us. And so the writer is saying here, look, if you look at the law and it, and it stands and it demands this sort of justice that ends in all of us in some kind of alienated permanent punishment, if that stands... How do we think we're going to escape? <laughs> That's the question. How shall we escape? Escape what? Escape the perfect retribution of the law of God. How will we escape that? If we neglect such a great salvation. Well, we won't escape it if we neglect the salvation from it. <laughs> if we don't notice Christ 
that's that word neglect. It literally means if we pay no attention, if we just don't notice. How will we escape the demands of the law for justice if we don't notice the availability of rescue from that justice in Christ? Well, we won't. To escape is to get away from the just retribution required by the law. To neglect is to fail to think about something so as to give it the appropriate response. It means don't notice, pay no attention. It is possible that you are sitting here today because the currents of this world just brought you in here today for whatever reason, and you just came in here, and you're here attending church today. Do not fail to notice Christ. Do not. You see, when Paul, or not Paul, when the writer of Hebrews was addressing the church he's addressing in this book, what he came to realize was that in the congregation of the church, there are people who really know Christ, and there are people who are toying with the idea of Christ. There are people who have really trusted themselves to God and they are tied to the mooring and they are safe in Christ, they will not drift away. And there are those who, for whatever reason, have in their associations of life come to think, maybe this church thing is something I ought to try. And the thing that will keep them from drifting away is... Christ and attention to Christ. Not me. Me only to whatever extent I might reflect Christ. The love of the body. Only to the extent that the love of the body of Christ reflects the actual love of Christ. It's Christ. People drift away because they say the church is full of hypocrites. Well, duh. The church is full of hypocrites. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be a hypocrite. There is a level of hypocrisy in you because you have not attained to the full righteousness of Christ yet. So you you say one thing and you don't really live it out perfectly. The church is full of hypocrites, but Christ is not a hypocrite. He lived in perfect righteousness from the day he was conceived to the, well, till now. The man Jesus is no hypocrite. He never said one thing and did another. He never preached one righteousness and failed to live according to it. He perfectly fulfills the law, this very law spoken through angels that demands perfect justice so that he is entitled to every last reward that is promised to the obedient to the law of God. Do not fail to notice Christ. 
If you don't have the most important thing as the most important, you will wake up one day and find yourself taking a test you did not anticipate. And it won't be a dream. Now, how will we escape if we don't recognize this salvation that's provided in Christ? And then he says more about it. That salvation was declared at first by the Lord, that God spoke in the person of Jesus, confirmed to us, us being the generation reading and writing the book of Hebrews, by those who heard it. This is one of the ways we know that the writer of the book of Hebrews was the disciple of an apostle and not an apostle himself. So he it was confirmed to us by the people who met Jesus in person. And then he says, and God also bore witness. Jesus said this in the book of John, didn't he? God is bearing witness. If you don't believe me, believe him. Believe the what? The works that he does in me. So God bore witness by signs and wonders, various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So there's, there was a miraculous confirmation of the person of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of all those things? Pay attention to Christ. Now here's a problem. We can, we can say, wow, those, all those miracles, that sounds great. That sounds great. And then we get distracted by the miracles and don't pay attention to the Christ that the miracles point to. The, Paul addresses the Corinthian church because they were getting distracted by their spiritual gifting and not paying attention to Christ. What, is, what are these signs? Well, you know, in John chapter 2, the leaders of Israel say to Jesus, what sign will you give us to show you are Messiah, you're the Son of God? What sign will you give us? You remember what he said in chapter 2? He said, well, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And that, of course, made them decide he was some sort of heretic And then John comments in the text, he says, later we figured out he was talking about his body, the temple, the the actual dwelling place of the glory of God on earth, the temple. That's what he was talking about, and he was talking about his death and resurrection, and they did tear it down, and he did rebuild it. So if you want a sign, that's the great sign of all time, Jesus is risen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, the Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom. To me, this is like dividing the world into two groups of people, people who seek signs and people who are philosophers who need to think their way into everything. People who need to see some powerful demonstration, people who need to think their way into everything. Jesus kind of ends up You know, well, here's what Paul says. Jewish people seek signs. Greeks seek wisdom. 
We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the sign seekers and idiocy to the philosophers. And in Christ crucified, you have the wisdom of this world turned on its head. And God demonstrates his superior wisdom in providing for us by grace through the sacrifice of Christ. None of us would ever think of this plan. It's crazy, crazy good. So the purpose of God's testimony, of course, is to point to the Son, the, the descent of the Spirit like a dove on his head in the voice of God, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All of this is to point us to Christ. So, this is the exhortation. When we understand the privilege of Christ, we persevere in attention to Christ. We persevere in attention to Christ. And if you are one of those people who sort of drift through the church in the currents of the world, and you happen to find yourself here this morning, and you have never actually trusted yourself to Christ, Oh my goodness, do not drift away. Do not drift. You know, you know people who've sort of passed through. There's people in this world that will say, yeah, I used to be a Christian. Well, that's not possible. What that means is I used to go to church or I used to, blah, blah, you know, have some inkling that maybe Jesus was the thing. And then I drifted away from that. And if you're here this morning and you've never actually set your anchor on Christ, please, please, now. You don't have to stand up, raise your hand, come forward, blah, 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 none of that stuff. It's all just trusting Him for your secure position before God for eternity. That's it. It's almost too simple, like it's hard to describe. And by the way, simple doesn't mean easy. It just means simple. Just trust him. Trust him. That's the question. Will you trust yourself to God in Christ and be saved? Will you latch on to this great salvation or not pay attention? That's all. Now, I assume that almost all of us here today, maybe all of us, that would be wonderful, have in fact latched on to Christ. Hang on. And study Him. Now, when I say study him, that might involve studying the Bible, but I'm talking about studying him, the one of whom the Bible speaks. That's what we're talking about. Do you know him? And the answer to that question might be yes. And if the answer is yes, the answer is also, but not well enough. 
the more I know him, the more I see him clearly, the more I am transformed to be like him clearly. And the more people will see him when they see me. So I pray, Lord, help us all. Wherever we can, how, whatever condition we walked into this room here today, this morning, whatever condition, Lord, help us, Spirit of God, lead us, empower us to put our trust in Christ and give our attention to Christ. That is my prayer. Father, thank you for this love that you have shown to us, this word which you have given to us, which exceeds anything we might imagine for ourselves. And Father, help us. Help us. Give us your spirit so that we can see Christ. Thank you for the word and the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.